Take me to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8. We are uh, continuing our study through the book of Romans, and we come this morning to Romans 8, verses 5 through 8. And before I read, I ask if you would join me as we ask for the Spirit's anointing on his word this morning. Let's pray together. Lord God, how good it is and has been to worship you, to gather in your house, to sing praises to your name, to offer our prayers before your throne. And Lord, I pray now that as we come to your word that you would fill us with your spirit, that the same spirit that gave us these words would now breathe life into our hearts through them. Give us understanding, give us ears to hear, and give us eyes to see, and give us hearts to receive these truths. Lord, may your word be planted deep in us that it may produce fruit of transformation for our good and for your glory. Speak to us, O Lord, in the way that you know we need to be spoken to. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word this morning, Romans 8, 5 to 8. So we left off last time, we looked at verses 1 through 4, where we saw that the main premise that Paul made was that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and everything kind of uh, was developed out of that main statement, that, that main premise. He ended in verse 4 by saying that uh, the, per- the overall purpose was that the righteous requirement of the law might be met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now he picks up on that last statement about living according to the flesh and living according to the Spirit. So beginning at verse 5, he, Paul says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You may be seated. The book of Psalms uh, begins by describing two kinds or two categories of people who are on two different paths that lead to two different ends. And so Psalm 1 describes the, those who walk, the, those who are on the path of the, the righteous are like solid trees with, with deep roots planted by, by streams of living water. And they yield their fruit in season, and their leaves do not wither, and they flourish under God's care, and they they are on a path that ends in life. And then in sharp contrast to this, Psalm 1 says, uh, describes those who who walk the, the path of the wicked. 
And the psalmist says that they are like chaff that is blown away in the wind and that they will not and do not stand under God's judgment. And they are on the path that ends in death or as the psalmist puts it, in self-destruction. And that psalm, which is, again is really the introduction to the whole book of Psalms, uh, but that, and that psalm really describes all of humanity. There are, in, in human life, there are only two paths. There are two ways of life, two categories of people, two destinies. You're either walking the way of the righteous or you are walking the way of the wicked. You are either blessed by God or you are condemned. You are either destined for life or destined for death. There is no as much as we might want there to be, there is no middle way. There is no neutral ground. And in our text this morning from Romans 8, Paul paints that same kind of picture. Really, it's a, a, a very, very much similar to that Psalm 1 in, in that contrasting uh, picture of humanity. And so Paul draws a contrast between those who, who live according to the flesh and those who live according to the Spirit. And it's a contrast between unbelievers and believers. Uh, there's a fundamental divide between the saved and the unsaved, the regenerate and the unregenerate. And so those who live according to the flesh are those who are still dead in their sins and living under the rule of the sinful nature. And those who live according to the Spirit are those who have been brought from death to life and are now living under the rule of the Spirit of God. And so that's the, the fundamental contrast in uh, this, this text this morning, in, in these verses from Romans 8. That is the, the, the fundamental contrast, these two, these two paths, two kinds of people, two ends. And Paul describes that contrast between these two categories of people in, in three different ways. And so we'll walk through those ways in, our, uh, in this text together this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can leave them open. We will have uh, the verses projected on the screens as well, so you don't have to follow along if you don't want to. So the first contrast that, that Paul uh, draws is in, as a contrast in terms of mindset and desires. So again, a contrast between these two uh, categories of people, those who live according to the flesh, those who live according to the Spirit, and the first contrast in terms of mindset and desires. Paul says in verse 5, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit Desires. Now, as with so much of Paul's letter to the Romans, there's, there's much to unpack. Uh, every word weighs a ton, it seems. And so we need to unpack this just a little bit. The word flesh is a word we've encountered before that Paul uses often as one of Paul's favorite terms. And, and the basic meaning, the, the, the literal meaning of flesh is, is referring to the physical body, the, it, you know, the, the bodily tissue. That's the, the literal basic meaning of the word Paul almost always uses it in a figurative sense to refer to the sinful nature. And that's, what, that's how Paul is using it here as well. So sarks, the sinful nature, is the human self corrupted and unredeemed. It is, it is man left to himself, incurably bent toward his own good and his own self-gratification. This is who we are in our fallen, unredeemed state. It is the self dominated by sin. And Paul says that unbelievers have their minds set on what the flesh desires. And what does he mean that are to have their minds 
set. Well, the Greek word minds is a, uh, is a word that, that means more than just thinking, more than just cognition. It's a really comprehensive term that, that, that in, uh, encompasses not only thought, but also affection and emotions and attitudes and, and dispositions. And so to set your mind on, on what the flesh desires is to make earthly things the absorbing object of your thought and your interest, your, your affections and your desires. It's a matter of what preoccupies your thought and your time and your energy and your interest. Those who have their minds set on what the flesh desires find their greatest satisfaction in the things of earth. And that is what drives them, that is what engrosses them, that is what they, they think about, that is what they, they pursue, and, and that is what they build their lives around. And so that is a, a picture of, of, those, of setting your minds on the, what the flesh desires. But by contrast, Paul says, believers have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. And so believers have a genuine interest and, and bent toward the things of God. Uh, believers can say with Paul that I consider everything else that this earth has to offer. When I look at everything around me, I consider it all garbage in comparison to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Only a believer can say that. An unbeliever that sees nothing of that. And, and believers agree with Paul that, that for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And believers will say of God with a psalmist, whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. There's nothing in this earth that, 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 that can draw my attention and my, my interest like you can. There's nothing that can compare with, with you. As believers, it goes against our our new nature through union with Christ to be pulled back to the things of the earth. It doesn't mean that we never are, but, it, but it's, not in our, it's not according to our nature to be drawn to the things of the earth. This is why Paul said to the Colossians, he says, Since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Set your minds on things above and not on earthly things. In other words, be true to yourself, to who you are in Christ. It's not, a, it's not consistent with your new nature to, to set your hearts and your minds on earthly things. And so this is the first contrast that, that Paul gives between those who are, live according to the flesh and those who live according to the Spirit. It's a contrast in mindset and desires. Those who live according to the flesh build their whole lives around the things of fallen human nature. That their horizon is, is bounded by the things of this life. The, the, the whole uh, saying or that, that motto, whatever it was, whoever dies with the most toys wins. Wasn't that a bumper sticker or something like that? Whoever, whoever dies with the most toys wins. Whoever dies with the most pleasures and possessions at the end of the race wins. That's the mindset. But those who live according to the Spirit build their whole lives around the things of God. So they have a vested interest in his kingdom. They, they live as foreigners and strangers on this earth, as the writer of Hebrews says, longing for the better country that is still to come. That's the first contrast in mindset and desires. The second contrast that Paul makes is a contrast in terms of eternal destinies. So unbelievers are on a path that leads to, to spiritual death. And 
believers are on a path that leads to everlasting life. Paul puts it this way in verse 6. He says, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. And the language that Paul uses here picks up on what he had just said in verse 5. He's, he's elaborating on what the, the mind set on the flesh is like in contrast to the mind set on the spirit. It's the same, the same uh, words that he's using. He says uh, a more literal translation is that the mindset of the flesh is death and the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. And so the basic idea is the same as that of the psalmist in Psalm 1. It's the same picture the psalmist at the end of Psalm 1 kind of summarized that psalm and really summarized all of wisdom literature with that last statement of Psalm 1, which says this, that the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. That is a sort of a, a, a summary statement of not only the whole psalm, but the whole book of Psalms and all of wisdom literature. If you live only for what this earth offers, then you are on the path of death. If the center of your affections and desires and interests is in worldly things, then you are still under the rule of the sinful nature, still dominated by the sinful self, and still under God's condemnation. I think Paul puts some flesh on this idea in his letter to the Ephesians, where he says in Ephesians chapter he says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. And notice the, notice the language that Paul uses and how it's, it's very much like what he's saying here in Romans chapter 8. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you, you used to live in this way when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, which is the devil. And he says, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. That's what Paul has been talking about here in Romans 8. That's what it's like to live according to the flesh. And his last statement in Ephesians 2 verse 3 uh, captures what he's talking about here in Romans 8 as well. Where does this lead? Where does that kind of a life lead? Like the rest, he says, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Those who live according to the flesh are under God's wrath. So this is what's at stake for those who live according to the flesh. They are on a path that ends in condemnation. They're under God's wrath, and the mindset of the flesh is death. You see, fallen condition, we are by nature, I think what, what, what Paul, another way to kind of get at this, what Paul is getting at is, is that in our fallen nature, we are, we are in a state of spiritual death. Right? So we have, in our, in our fallen condition, left to ourselves, we have no taste for the things of God. We have no inclination to desire him or, or to pursue him or the things of his kingdom. We have no ability to discern spiritual things. Jesus talks a lot about that throughout the Gospels, how if they're, you know, those who are outside of belief, they, they, they can't, they, have, they don't have the ability to discern spiritual things. In fact, that's part of the reason why he taught in parables was to, was to sharpen that divide so that those who did have faith would grow through the teaching of the parables and those who, who didn't would be driven farther away. So the, 
There is no ability to discern spiritual things. We are like a corpse, totally dead to the beauties and the glories of Christ in our fallen condition. There's a story that that captures this uh, fairly well. That's a story about William Wilberforce and his good friend, William Pitt the Younger. And both men were, were, were brilliant and successful politicians in the late 18th century. Uh, but, but Wilberforce was a Christian, and, uh, and, and Pitt was not. And so Wilberforce had a, had a deep love for his friend and a deep desire for him to come to Christ and, and a concern for his friend's soul. And so he, he prayed for him often. And one day he took uh, his friend uh, to listen uh, to, to one of the, the greatest evangelical preachers at that time, who was uh, Richard Cecil. And, and Wilberforce said that, that, that when, when he, so he brought Pitt, his friend Pitt the Younger, to, to go to this uh, worship to hear Cecil preach. And, and, and Wilberforce said it was one of his, uh, Cecil was at his best. It was just, he was enraptured with what Cecil was, was preaching. He said he was, he was preaching the gospel uh, with, with, with passion and with clarity and with power. And, and he had tears, stream, he, you know, Wilberforce had tears streaming down his cheeks. And he was so thankful that he brought William Pitt, you know, to, to, to hear this, this amazing gospel presentation. He was so thankful that, that he could be part of it. When the worship service was over, Wilberforce asked Pitt what he thought. And Pitt said to him, you know, William, I don't have the slightest idea what that man was going on about. I, I just couldn't wait for it to be done. And, and, and he couldn't believe how, what, the, the, the contrast between what, what one found so, what Wilberforce found so ravishing was just nonsense, boring and meaningless to his friend. He was completely unmoved. It did nothing for him. And that's the way it is with those who are unbelievers. They are in a state of spiritual deadness. And unless the Holy Spirit awakens them, they will not be moved by the things of God, and their path will end in spiritual death. So the mindset of flesh is death. But by contrast, Paul says, the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. Those whose, whose hearts have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, those who have been awakened to a true and living faith in Christ, that they do have a taste for the things of God. And they are on a path that leads to everlasting life and, and peace. And, and, and the peace here is a, the same as what Paul said in uh, Romans 5, verse 1, the, the peace that he mentioned there, that, those who, that, that we have uh, peace with God. Those who are, are justified have peace with God, which means that we have a restored relationship. We are reconciled to God. And so those who are on the path of, of, of the, the, the Spirit on a path that leads to everlasting life and peace. They are destined for a life of never-ending glory, reconciled to God. In other words, we know that the best is yet to come. We know there are better things ahead than any we leave behind. We know that as C.S. Lewis said, that this life is just the, the title and the cover page of the real story, the, the real adventure and glory that awaits and so those who live according to the Spirit can say with Paul, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, our, our bodies are, are getting older and weaker and frailer minute by minute, year by year, we are wasting away. When you get to be, you know, 
about my age, you, you, you feel that more and more, right? You know, the, the knees uh, creak a little bit more and you up and you get stiffer and sore. You, you groan getting out of a chair, that kind of a thing. We outwardly are wasting away. Yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles, Paul says, are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. We live as those assured of everlasting life and an eternal glory that far outweighs the, the troubles and the pains and, I would say, the pleasures of this world. So there's a contrast in eternal destinies. The third contrast that Paul makes is a contrast in terms of attitude toward God. Paul says the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law and nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. So notice how Paul says three things here about the attitude or the disposition of unbelievers toward God. They are hostile to God. They, are, they do not and cannot submit to God's law and they cannot please God. In our fallen state, we are, we are not just indifferent toward God. We, we, we are in rebellion against God. I think it's important for us to understand that. And it's also important for us to understand what, how, to, how that plays out, what that really looks like. Because to be in rebellion against God doesn't always manifest itself in, in sort of open hostility. Right? I mean, the, many unbelievers are quite pleasant and, and civil people. They are decent people. They do good things in the world. They may have an interest in theology. They may know a lot about theology. They may speak favorably of God and have a high standard of morality like the Pharisees did. But, they're hard, but here's the key issue. So you would look at a person like that and say, they're not hostile to God. They're not hostile to God at all. But here's the issue. Their hearts are not surrendered to God. They don't love him and his truth. They don't seek first his kingdom. They don't fully embrace the truths of God's word. They, they may do many of the right things, but they do them for the wrong reasons. And if you dig deep enough into their hearts, if you let the scalpel biblical truth cut through those surface layers of pleasantries, you will find that they celebrate things that God deems to be evil. And they mock things that God deems to be good. For in the depth of their being, underneath all the, the veneer of morality and, and decency and civility, at the center of it all, the, the self is still on the throne in their hearts. That's the, that's the core issue. And as long as the self occupies the place that rightly belongs to God alone, they are in a state of rebellion and hostility toward God, even if it doesn't look like it. Well, Paul doesn't explicitly state the positive side of the contrast here for believers, but it is clearly implied. Those who live according to the Spirit are not hostile to God. They, in fact, delight in God and His truth. They submit to God's law, they, and they live to please God, to, to, to glorify Him and enjoy Him forever. And so the believer is able to say with the psalmist, you are my God, earnestly I seek you, I thirst for you, my whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. 
I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. I will praise you as long as I live. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. And the believer longs to live by God's commands. As the psalmist says, I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my that I might not sin against you. And the believer delights in God's presence. We agree with the psalmist who says, better is one day in your courts, O Lord, than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be just a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. And so to summarize, there are two categories of people in the world. Those who live according to the flesh and those who live according to the spirit. And these two categories of people have contrasting mindsets and desires with contrasting attitudes toward God, which lead to contrasting ends. And all people, all people who live and ever have lived and ever will live are either on the path that leads to death or on the path that leads to everlasting life and peace. And it begs the question then this morning, do you know which path you are on? Do you know which path you are on? In the broader context of, of Romans 8, I, I, I struggled a little bit with this text because there, there's no... There's no exhortations, there's no, there's no commands, there's no imperatives, there's no, you know, do this or do that. It just is, it's all descriptive. So what is Paul aiming at? What is the, what is, what do we, how do we, what do we take away from this text for us today? I think the main goal in the broader context of Romans 8, I think the main goal of this text is to provide assurance to believers that they are, that they are on the path that ends in life. I think that's the main thing that Paul is trying to do. I think there's also a sense that there, there is a, a litmus test here for true faith. And so it might, Paul might also be a little bit doing, doing the opposite direction, trying to get those to see that maybe you're not on the right path so that they can see that and be drawn to the right path. But I think the overarching, the, the main thing that Paul is doing is trying to provide assurance to believers that they are on the path that ends in life. And maybe to believers who don't have that assurance so like I said, this text provides a litmus test of true faith. And Paul wants, I think, believers to be assured of their status before God. If we can see in ourselves that at least some degree, the Spirit of God is at work in us. And that by some measure, we live according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. Then we have the assurance that everything that Paul says in this broader section of Romans 8 is true of us. So, so we are those for whom there is no condemnation and we have been set free from the law of sin and death and the righteous requirement of the law has been fully met in us. And we have life and peace and we are children of God and co-heirs with Christ. All of these beautiful things are true of us if we are those who live by the spirit and not by the flesh. And we need to be clear, I think, that what Paul means by living according to the Spirit is not a matter of perfection, right? We learned that from Romans 7, didn't we? Romans 7 taught us that, that true believers will continue to struggle with sin. 
That true believers will continue to be, be, be tempted and succumb at times to the temptations of the flesh. It doesn't mean you're not a Christian. And so we, we don't have to live by the Spirit completely and perfectly in, in order to attain assurance of salvation. I like the way Sproul put it one time. Uh, he was uh, speaking on the, on the topic of assurance. And he said that he, he would often talk to people who, who were struggling with, with assurance of their salvation. And he said he would ask them three questions. Number one, do you love Jesus perfectly? And of course, the, 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 they would all answer no. That's an easy one. Nobody Nobody loves Jesus perfectly. So that's a very easy answer. So he would say, okay, you don't love Jesus perfectly. Second question, do you love Jesus as much as you ought to love him? And again, it's an easy answer. No, nobody does. I, I, no, I do not. They would all answer the same. We do not love Jesus as much as we ought. Ask them the third question. Do you love Jesus at all? Do you have any measure of love and affection in your heart for Jesus? And not for a caricature of Jesus, not for the Jesus that you have maybe invented and imagined in your own minds, that you created in your own image, but the Jesus as revealed in Scripture. Do you have any love and affection in your heart for the biblical Christ? And if you can answer yes to that third question, Sproul said, then you can be assured of your salvation because the unregenerate heart has no affection for Christ at all. I think that is helpful. And I think the same logic applies here in our text this morning. Do we live by the Spirit perfectly? No, of course not. Do we live by the Spirit as much as we ought? No, no one does. But do we live by the Spirit at all? Do we have any desire to pursue the things of God, any impulse of the hearts to, to worship Christ and to, and to live under his lordship, and any demonstrated growth in, in living by the Spirit and not by the flesh? If we can answer that question positively, then I think that we can be assured that we are true believers and on the course of life and death. And I think that's what one of the things that Paul is wanting to do in this text. And one of the things that I'm hoping that the Spirit will do in us this morning as well. If you are here struggling with doubts about the assurance of your salvation and you have a true faith in Christ, then I hope and pray that the Spirit will Work that assurance in your hearts. There are only two kinds of people in the world. I, I would also add, by the way, that if you are on, in the other camp, that you, that you think that you are a true believer, but maybe you're living under a false assurance that the Spirit would draw you out of that into a true and saving faith. There are only two kinds of people in the world, believers who live according to the Spirit and unbelievers who live according to the flesh. Martin Lloyd-Jones said the difference between those two categories of people is like the difference between a Christmas tree with ornaments, which you see on the, on the left-hand side, the left-hand image, and living tree with fruit, as you see on the right-hand side. 
Both may have the appearance of beauty in life, but the Christmas tree, he says, is an artificial beauty with ornaments imposed on the outside. It is cut off from any life-giving source. But on the other hand, the living tree is rooted in soil where it draws life-giving water to produce real fruit from within. And Paul says that through our union with Christ, we are like that living tree with a life-giving spirit living inside of us, bearing fruit to the glory of God. And so we can say in the words of the Hymn writer Horatius Bonar, I heard the voice of Jesus say, Behold, I freely give the living water, thirsty one, stoop down and drink and live. I came to Jesus and I drank of that life-giving stream. My thirst was quenched, my soul revived, and now I live in him. Let's bow together. Lord God, we praise you for what you have done in Jesus. We praise you that you have given the gift of the Holy Spirit to work in us to produce fruit. And I pray, O oh Lord, as we come before your throne in a time of silent prayer and response, that you would work in our hearts. Oh, Lord, I pray, Lord, that if there are those here this morning who have a true faith in you but are struggling with assurance of their salvation, that your spirit would breathe into them a deepened assurance. And I pray, oh, Lord, that if there are some this morning who are here who are living with a false assurance, who have not yet come to a saving faith but but feel like they are just fine. May you, O oh Lord, draw them out of their ways of unbelief and the life according to the flesh into the life according to the Spirit. So, Lord, hear our silent prayers of response this morning. Lord God, for those who are here this morning, O oh Lord, who have come to a true and saving faith, I pray, O oh Lord, that we may know with the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Galatians that, that those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And that since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. 
Oh Lord, we praise you that through faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in us, producing fruit and life and hope and joy and peace and setting us on a path that ends in everlasting life and, and glory with you forever. Oh Lord, may we live in that hope and in that joy for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close.